five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. This is the Winnie War Cry segment. We're talking about Night Hunt and Battle Groups. Guys, how you doing tonight? Hey, good to be here. Hey there. Of course, we got Jason back. Jason, I'm glad to have you not traveling so much. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a bit. It's nice to be back on, although I'm leaving again for a little bit. But <laughs> it's, uh, I, it's good to be able to make time tonight, so good to be here, guys. For sure. And then, of course, we got Dan. Uh, always, always good to have you with us, Dan. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, especially after uh, tornado sirens were all through my neighborhood yesterday. <laughs> I'm crazy. just real glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the alternate is something we don't want to think about, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, very good, very good. Well, we have, uh, like I said, a great show ahead. We are going to talk about the Night Hunt Faction. We're going to talk about battle groups, how to, how to arrange your warband into... Uh, your hammer, your dagger, your shield, and uh, we're also going to talk about some of the new reveals, which I'm very excited about, uh, seeing seeing the Warhammer Fest reveals. That was pretty cool. But first, uh, let's talk about what's on your hobby table. Dan, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so I just bought a light box. Um, you can get them pretty cheap on Amazon, actually, but uh, just with the hopes of being able to sort of photograph some of my models and stuff a little bit better, maybe uh, put some pictures on my channel etc but um yeah i kind of just actually just unpacked it today and i'm kind of trying to figure out how to use it there's it comes with a lot of different kind of backgrounds you can have the light in the light box be tinted a bunch of different ways and get some kind of weird effects um so yeah i'm interested to learn how it works all the finer points is it the uh, is it like the kind of the plastic one with the hole in the top and you got all the it like the backgrounds kind of hook in the back and stuff like that? Is it that oh, one? It's got like an LED strip like up at the top that you can plug in. Yeah. So yeah. So it's got a little um, not a strip but like a circle of LEDs oh, at the okay. top and then like a diffuser screen underneath that oh, and then okay. uh, you can put in you know you can slide in walls that are various colors so you can do it all white or all black oh, that's um, cool. the, the all black doesn't stay black i don't know i've seen some really fancy pictures on instagram where uh the black background is truly black i'm not sure yeah. what they're doing to achieve that but um it still works really well for kind of ba- bouncing the light around which i think is you know the point so I got one of those. I don't think mine's as fancy as yours um, because it doesn't have the diffuser up top and it just had like LED stuff. The light was way too harsh um, mm. and it was coming in really bad. So like I had to almost kind of put like a, a paper towel, a white paper towel, and then like my painting light over it to like diffuse it oh, sure. quite a bit. Okay. You know, so I had to play around with it. Um, and even then, I wasn't crazy about it. There's a couple of tutorials out there that I really liked. Uh, Miniac had a great one. Um, 
There was another guy. I'm skipping his name right now. Um, the suit, the sauce painting. The sauce painting had another good one about uh, taking pictures, and it on, to get that like infinite black. It was all about adjusting your ISO values on your camera. Um, oh, to, okay. Drop. So that's yeah. the next step is getting a real yeah. camera. Well, um, you know, they all say you can totally do it from your iPhone or Android because the megapixels on them are fantastic now. And you just have to be able to get in and actually fidget with the numbers. And sometimes you just have to flip your camera to pro mode because okay. it's normally default mode. But you can totally do it on your phone. In fact, they tell you how to do it. All right. It's I'll, cool. uh, I'll look that up. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to have it. Yeah, very cool. I, I dream of the day that I have some space that I can like just get like a permanent picture station and like get it set up right and then not touch it. You know, where <laughs> just mm-hmm. put the model in the middle and be like, okay, let's do that one now. So, you know, one day, one day. Yeah, I love taking pictures. But, um, uh, right Dan, yeah, Jason, how, how was, uh, what's on your hobby table right now? I've got on? knobblers on my table. It's going to happen Ooh. this time. And I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do to keep them from running away because <laughs> I tell you how many times I have assembled and painted knobblers and they just disappear. We've talked about this before. <laughs> so, I'm gonna put some like earth magnets on the bottom of these guys, to I don't know to to solve them down. But I'm excited. I'm gonna build that list. Uh, the, when we talked about ogres, uh, I'm gonna build me a list to bring to your event that you're running in June. Uh, Very good. Your war I need cry event. So to be excited. Yeah. I need people to sign up for it. Yeah, through uh, Best Coast Pairing, right? Yep. I yep. think um, we haven't had anybody sign up for it yet. Uh, okay. We're still, well, we're still a far, like, far enough away. So Yeah, you'll still have one. And I think there's a lot of people, like uh, the local friend group that, that are there, that probably just haven't thought about opening the Best Coast Pairing app probably since COVID. Yeah, uh, definitely. To be fair, so. yeah. I know yeah. I'm one of those. Like, I've, I've already got it on my calendar. I've got it approved with the wife points, but I have not <laughs> pulled it up in BCP yet. I just haven't thought about it. You just reminded me, actually. Yeah, totally. So, uh, and I've had a couple of people reach out to me, uh, random people that I don't know, and say, "Oh, you know, when you say no allies, what does that mean?" You know. Um, yeah. So, anyway, I'm I'm hoping that we kick it off. Even if we have like eight people, I think it would be amazing. How many do you have signed up for uh, Nova Open? Oh, good question. I went to check that the other day. Um, I think it's in the mid-teens. Yeah, I thought last time I checked, it was like 19. That's gonna be maybe, fun. Maybe, maybe actually. Maybe there's 19 tickets left, but yeah, I I think there's a lot of people that have sold or um, signed up for it. I'm yeah, really I um I had been waiting because uh, just with all my work travel, I wasn't sure, but I think now I have full approval to go for it. So you're gonna get another ticket bot here pretty soon. Oh, you you hadn't gotten your ticket. And nope. it's wild, given that it's in August. You know, I think a lot of the signups either happen right at the beginning or right at the end. So the fact that you're already you know, have a have enough to run a real tournament, and it's not even three months <laughs> to oh, yeah. the event. Um, yeah, I think uh, pretty exciting. Uh, right now, uh, we have sold fourteen tickets, which I think is great. There's eighteen left. Yeah, so it'll be a good amount. That's and neat. they'll fill. Still up. four and a half months away. Yeah, yeah they'll exactly. Fill up. Yeah, which is great. I mean, if I get twenty, I'll be happy as a clam. You know, and I think I think if we keep up pace, we'll have more than twenty. For sure. So we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, that's pretty good. Well, I hope your nobblers do stay around, Jason, because Me you too. know, 
<laughs> Dave Ben. If it's not, there'll be, some, there'll be some more crout on the table. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. Uh, I have been painting furiously some terrain for this Warcry event that we're having at Huzzah on June 4th. And uh, I've got, I just, I'm, I've got like two more things I need to do with this uh, Corpse Rack Museum, Museum, Mausoleum. Uh, but I really love the way it came out. Like the skulls and like the, the roses and stuff like on the side of the buildings. And they just really pop out really nice. And I get some like uh, weathered copper roofs and, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I've got, I ended up picking up a whole bunch of terrain. I'm looking over my shoulder right now. I got the blasted hollow heart terrain. I got some more um, uh, defiled azure uh, ruins or shattered ruins, right? Whatever, whatever they are. Um, it's basically like the Warcry base box minus the head and the bell tower. Um, and I got six more trees and another uh, mausoleum. So I got a lot of terrain to paint and put together, but. It'll be good um, because I, I like, um, and I'll probably do this for our events too, probably mix and match a little bit. So I might have like a little mausoleum building. I might have a couple of ruins and then a tree in there or something like that, you know, something to really shake it up and mm -hmm. uh, and, and have a good time with. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the terrain you make. I think you always paint it very well. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun for immersion. Yeah. Yeah, it's always really cool when you got painted terrain, you know, and it's funny because I look at it and I'm like, I totally smudged copper painting on the side of this building. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm just moving on. <laughs> you know, <And> it's like, <laughs> yep. who's going to notice, right? Like, Nobody's going to notice. You're playing, yeah. <laughs> but it just makes me laugh because I'll know it's there, right? Yes. I'll know it's there. So anyway, well, it's good, guys. Uh, you know, it's funny because we have a friend who is probably coming to the event, who definitely has signed up for a ticket. Um, it's our friend Dan Pomeroy, who's obviously the, co uh, the host of some of our other uh, podcasts. But he just bought the, uh, the Sisters of Slaughter Warcry box, and he put this together. And I think this was his first experience with Games Workshop models, don't you think, Jason? I think it was his first experience putting models together. Oh, that's yeah. brutal. What a rough introduction. <laughs> oh, what no. Was, I, I, knew, I knew it was going in a bad direction when he had, like, a helping. He was putting one together, model together using the helping hands and, like, like the little gorilla, gorilla glue and oh, super yeah. glue. Oh, guy. And he's like, I can't get this stuff to take. And we're like, first he's of like, all. It's taking me 20. It's, like, yeah. taking me six hours to get three arms on. And I'm like. Yeah. That's not how it should, yeah. should work. Yeah. I'm like, all right, step one. Let's get you some plastic glue and start there. But think, Daughters yeah. of Cain are tough. That's the worst assembly I've ever I've ever oh, dealt with. Yeah, really? So he was, yeah. yeah, he had all the things going against him. It was, it was pretty. But the funny thing is, once we got him the right glue, he finished it in like four hours. Yeah. But he had, you know. I think he still had such a bitter taste in mouth about yeah. it. So what we got to do is we got to get it. We got, now he's. He's been digging painting, so we got to get him painting those quick so he can find the thing he really likes about it, which is painting, and then get it on the table. Yeah. So he can put the build behind him. It was hilarious. And the funny thing is, is I actually I, I actually love the build part of the hobby. Um, it's kind of like Lego. I, enjoy I it. loved Legos as a kid. Yeah. You know? And so, like, following the instructions and putting it together. And, yeah, like, it totally can be frustrating sometimes. Like, trust me, I've put together 12 spirit hosts. 
and those things are not fun to put together. They are the worst. Uh, and so, you know, I, but I love building them and I love painting them and stuff like that. So it was funny because I was just like, oh, dude, did you love building them? And he just, he was like, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> like, oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, stick with it, buddy. It's going to be yours when you're done. You've made it. <laughs> but you know what? He did it. And I don't know if he's started painting them yet. I wouldn't be surprised. But um, he'll have them painted before we get up to our event for sure. Because he's been he's been uh, flying through with the speed paints, and we have a episode. If you're interested in uh, kind of his review of uh, the army paints or speed paints, we did a to paint or not to paint part two, where he talked about his uh, his journey with painting and and rediscovering the love of painting through the speed paints because it just nice. made it so much easier for him. So, yeah, it was really good. It was uh, it's really good to see him get excited about it. So, yeah, that's really good. Um, okay, well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about some news. Uh, Dan, we had uh, we had some pretty big news uh, happen. What was it last week? It was last week. Yeah, pretty exciting. Um, th- certainly, the biggest news we've had in a long time for this game. Yeah, absolutely. So this was during Warhammer Fest, and uh, they teased us on on Friday. I think it was Friday the sixth um, that it was going to be like. Uh, Necromunda, Kill Team, and Warcry were kind of the ones that came out, and um, I was like, okay, it's, you know, I, I, I kind of dig Kill Team, but I don't want to talk about that. Show me Warcry, show me Warcry. Especially since, like, there have been rumors, Dan, um, of, like, the new edition coming out, and I figured if they were going to ever announce it, right, we're in the middle of May, if they're ever going to announce a new edition, like, it would probably be right now. It would either be now or it's not coming this year, right? That's what yeah. you would think. Yeah, um, totally. And instead we got something that kind of halfway in between may or may not be a new edition. I mean, they've uh, never right. changed the logo before. Um, so for people for people who don't know, we should probably set the scene, right? So yeah. they show this trailer and it's... Um, they they stamp a brand new Warcry logo and it's very like almost caveman esque, very sort of paleolithic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then they put, send us to this like primordial mountainous jungles environment with like a a giant I don't know what to call it like a dinosaur vulture phoenix hybrid. Yeah. Um, and then and then we see some comets or some asteroids hit the you know hit in the distance and create like a big bomb cloud and that's basically all we get um (laughs) until they show us models right yeah (laughs) um so pretty exciting a lot to kind of speculate on there but um yeah that's kind of the first snippet we got so as they got into it uh they explained that the war cry story um has been centered in the eight points right which is sort of the sort of like gateway realm that connects all of the other realms uh you know the the eight mortal realms and like the eight points is this sort of chaos controlled area it's where the varen spire is it's where you get varenite uh it's archaeon's domain and you know this is where all of the Warcry war bands are fighting and duking it out, and you've got uh, all of the other Age of Sigmar factions kind of coming in to, you know, get their treasures from the Bloodwind spoils and all of that. So it's very much been centered 
um, on that eight points. The original book was there. The Monsters and Mercenaries took it there a little bit even further. Um, obviously, in each of the Tome of Champions, we got more narrative quests that and faded quests that really expanded the lore of the eight points. And then Red Harvest, I think, took it to like a fever pitch as well because it really tied in with the Marathi Broken Realms uh, books where you had like the... Uh, the Canaanite, uh, Canaanite shadow stalkers that are going in and stealing this actual Varanite that Marathi needed to fuel her ascent to godhood. And yeah, you you're mean catacombs with. Oh yeah, catacombs. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, mm -hmm. yep. Definitely catacombs. And then, and then we actually in Red Harvest get to where they're mining the Varanite, right? Mm -hmm. And this just like chaos infused metals that can like give you mutations and extra powers and stuff like that, and. So you've got like the amazing terrain that we got with uh, the Red Harvest where you've got like, you know, Veronite derricks that are like pumping it out of the ground and you got sluices of, of this metallic stuff. And I mean, just gorgeous terrain, uh, amazing warbands. And but it's all been focused again on the eight points, right? This trailer says, mm, we're going to take that story now and drop it right into the middle of Gur. The realm of the beasts and in fact it's not just Gur; it's um in the continent of thondia if i'm not mistaken and it's like within this like little area where you said these comets have hit something's happening in this very jungly area of the of the realm of beasts and monsters and it's called the gnarlwood mm -hmm. um which led a lot of people to think that that was the home of the gnarl root glade of sylvaneth um, I, I, I checked, yeah, I checked their, the wiki said that their sort of, at least where their seed pods are, isn't called the Gnarlwood, but, but I could be wrong, um, as far as like where their other homes are. Um, it definitely, it's, it speaks to Sylvaneth to not be related, right? Um, yeah, for sure. And they, they mentioned that there were going to be, uh, you know, it's it's too bad, but we'll get to this in a second. They mentioned that there will be warbands that aren't chaos-related and right. some that, quote-unquote, may surprise us. I mean, I guess they have to say that no matter what, but I almost wonder if um, if they'll do a warband that's of a faction that doesn't exist yet, something like that, um, you know, the way they've done for Underworlds. They're, um, so they have been, and this might tie in a little bit, they have been teasing and kind of letting the fan, the Age of Sigmar fan base, like pine deeply for these uh, the Malarian Shadow Dark Elves that would come from Ulgu, right, or or whatever. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Warcry Shadow Elf warband. You know, really, like even a though dark, they've like already a made a Dark Elf warband. Which Dark Elf Warband is that? Uh, the Canine Shadow Stalkers. So, so, are those Dark Elves or are they just like, I mean, I guess they are kind of Dark Elves, but they're, they're still talking about them being like these Shadow Elves of Malarian, right? Mm. Like, uh, uh, the, kind of the, the little brothers to the High Elves that we get from uh, the Lumineth Realm Lords, right? Uh, no, no, so. no, no. They they are legitimately like from Ulgu. They serve okay, Marathi, okay. who is the you know mother of Malarian. Um, mm. So they're not they're not the uh, shadow elf dark elves. They're the uh, whatever Marathi's 
elves are called. Not the daughters of Cain, but like, you know, her friends, essentially. Yeah. So, um, if I'm not mistaken, the Cainite Shadowstalkers are actually, are they elves or are they mortals? Mortal they're men? elves. Yep. Are they? They're okay. elves. Okay. Okay. I stand corrected on that, though. So, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting because we're, we, we, I think even last podcast, Dan, we had talked about how cool it would be to start seeing some other war bands that were. We did. It was pretty high on our hopes, right? Yep. Right. Exactly. And, and they kind of confirmed, yeah, you're going to get some more that are not like chaos focused. So it'll be interesting. I'm really hoping we get a green skins war band. What were you going to say, Jason? As you say, I'm trying to figure out what is the deal with, um, you know, the bovine helmet fetish that seems to be making its way into <laughs> Games Workshop. Yeah, yeah, let's move to the Horns of Hashut, because they did show us one of the new warbands, um, and they're pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm, when I'm, I'm looking through them, I'm like, yeah, I can get behind these guys. They look, you know, like people who are living in the jungle. I'm like, oh, more cow heads. It's like, <laughs> I hope they have alternate heads. <laughs> It's like the um, it was uh, the luminous realm lord yeah. cowhead guys, right? That I'm yeah. like, I don't think I can get behind this army because of these giant yeah cowheads. It's I mean, I, but the thing is, it's I know it's just me because I know there are people who absolutely dig headgear. The fans yeah. cry out for cowheads. Yeah, mean, what can we say? <laughs> I got they a fever, twice, and all I need right? is more cowheads. Yeah, I just need some more bovine. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. I don't Even know. Even their clubs have cow heads. This is pretty wild, actually, yeah. looking at them. <laughs> I mean, I, I totally get the theme, right? Like, they're supposed to be like, you know, the comet comes down, war moves to this new place. These guys have been l- probably, you know, living a little rough in this area for a while. It's just what they've evolved to. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. interesting. Like, they've got, you know, it looks like they're one of the models has a gun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it'll be interesting to see what this war band uh, can bring that makes it feel different than maybe some of the other, um, you know, uh, the other uh, initial war bands that came out. Just my opinion. So this war band gives me, I mean, it's, it's a very tribal vibe, right? That it has obviously, Mm -hmm. but um, this war band gives me echoes of like the Babylonian empire Um, because like they were big worshipers of the bull and stuff like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got this kind of armor on it that almost looks like bronze agey, especially like the helmet, like the, the cow helmets that they have, you know, the bull helmets, um, and headgear. So, uh, and the plated, like, um, uh, what is that called? The plated skirt kind of thing armor that they have, right. That like, it just feels very like bronze age, you know? Uh, very very bronze age and uh so i i mean i kind of dig it i really i I do dig this uh i think the aesthetic's cool i hear you about the cow heads but i still think it's cool i think it's cool i struggle sometimes when i look at these and i think there's got to be some really strong lore behind like you know their worship of like bronze or something because if i was going to come to battle in like my underwear and a tiny little rain tarp why would i wear a giant heavy chain around my waist it's just like i don't get it you know there's got to be something there important like it's my you know it's it's your vestments or something i don't know yep that's a good point that is a good point now um the the hashut i i saw a lot of uh a, a bit of i don't know if it was you know ironic rage out on there out there on the internet but hashut is the uh basically the deity 
of the Chaos Dwarves. And so people are like, are you kidding me? They're giving us Hashut, but the Chaos Dwarves still aren't here, right? Oh, <laughs> man. So, like, they I were so, bad. like, outraged. <laughs> I feel bad for the person who sculpted these because they were met mostly with rage. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. like, if... So... For those who don't know, the, the name of this warband was leaked uh, before it was announced, and it wasn't a Games Workshop leak. Um, and so when it was leaked, a bunch of people thought, like, oh my god, we're getting a Chaos Dwarf Warcry warband. This is going to be incredible. And, yeah. you know, all the Chaos Dwarf fans, of which there's a shocking number online. It's, like, it's kind of Honestly, ridiculous. a shocking number of Chaos Dwarf fans. Um, all of them kind of, you know started clamoring and i think if these had been if the first look we'd gotten of these had been at warhammer fest and it had uh -huh. just been here's a war band look at all this bull motifs hey you know who else is a bull like the forgotten sixth chaos god hashut oh yeah. you know now we've got humans following hashut i wonder what other followers of hashut could come along you know yeah, um yeah. and it would have sort of helped build the hype for chaos dwarves that they're clearly trying to build i don't know if it's going to be a 2023 release or a 2024 release but it's like you know they're putting they're putting the feelers out there right so if if that had been how these were released i think people's hopes wouldn't have been gotten up and then people would be really excited for this yeah. the way you know when hobgrots came out people were like oh man like this is what uh orcs who have made friends with chaos dwarves are like that's really cool <laughs> and people got excited about the hobgrots which are yeah you know it's shocking for just like a little chaff unit um i think these would have had that same reception if it weren't for that leak and i feel bad for whoever sculpted these to have their work kind of met with a bunch of grumping uh, <laughs> when it probably wouldn't have otherwise. Now, I'll tell you that um, something that really excites me is that Centaur Marshal. That thing looks yes. awesome. I'm yeah, like, I want to build absolutely. and paint that. Oh, that thing is amazing. I, I'm totally getting it. That's, and they said on the stream, they're like, yeah, we see a lot of Golden Demon submissions from this guy. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know, and yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Now it uh, does say it does say that it's gonna be it can be taken by a host of war bands. So what I mean, what war bands do you think will is it just gonna be like what? What do you think will be open? Just the destruction war bands or what? I would bet everything in Slaves to Darkness, which counts most of the Chaos war bands. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, that would be my bet. But I have zero other than the uh, the one Slaves to Darkness cross that's on the armor. I have no evidence. That's my only piece of evidence pointing me towards yeah. that. So yeah. this looks like a chaos. I mean, this is a chaos model to me, right? Like you got the you got the um, very chaosy. Yeah, you got the skull thingy. You've got the um, kind of the 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 armor. Well, they, that's they got do the have star, the slaves right? to darkness cross. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah so. Exactly. And you've got the um, you've got like very very chaos horns coming out the top, right? Like I know this is like a centaur, but like those are very chaosy horns, not bull horns necessarily, you know. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, I see it as like an ogroid uh, Myrmidon type type of model, where mm -hmm. it is a can be taken as an ally, you know, in your in your army. It's probably going to cost you like three hundred something points, but it's going to be super beefy. And um, I think that it's got four arms here. 
three of which have weapons, right? You got a spear, you have an axe, you have a club, and then you have a fourth arm that has a a net. So yeah, throw away all the other arms. That that fourth arm with the net is the one that matters. <laughs> I totally agree, right? Yeah. Like that's gonna that's gonna be an awesome ability that he's gonna have. That's like on a double or something like that. That's gonna prevent a unit from activating or moving or something like that. And then it will literally beat it to death with the other three arms. <laughs> what do you think its movement's going to be? Do you think it's going to be like an eight? Ooh, I would like guess eight. I would really? guess eight? eight. Yeah, because most of the other, like the other centaurs in the game, they move eight. So I just assume all centaurs move eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I could be wrong. It could move, like I could see it moving six because it's bigger than the other centaurs. But I'd be pretty surprised if it was that much slower than the other centaurs. I was thinking it was higher end, like maybe 10. Oh. But ten, it, it the only could. time I we mean, see 10, the only time we see 10, though, are flyers, really. Yeah. Well, some cavalry have 10. Like, I think Varengard have 10, which is shocking yeah. to me with how much armor they have. So right. you're right. It, it could be 10. Um, yeah, I would I would bet 8, but it could absolutely be 10. It would be interesting. Yep, um, it be interesting. Do you think it will have, like, do you think that it will have a missile weapon? Like, maybe you could throw that spear? I don't, on a profile? I don't know. I mean, at at that point, you could speculate anything. Who knows? Yeah, I know. I have lots of baseless speculating about, like, list building changes, too, <laughs> you know, because we're going to Gur, and so maybe there will be some more, like, monster integration. And so, you know, yeah. having this monstrous guy come in for chaos is going to be more important to give them more options. Who knows? I mean, I'm just yeah. <laughs> throwing stuff out there. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking he's going to have a move of eight he's going to have maybe you know maybe that net will be special so maybe he'll have three different thing three different or four different options to hit with uh-huh and you know and he's going to be he i mean at least from his size he looks like he's going to be beefy like this dude is going to be able to run around the map and just smash objectives yeah um, i assume that too yeah, absolutely. He's, he's. I hope uh, he looks like he's going to be expensive. Point. He looks like he's gonna be expensive dollar wise for the model, <laughs> but yeah. I'm also expensive point wise because you know I think if you put too much, and this is me hypothesizing just looking at him, if you put too much around this guy, you're going to be able to just hold the fort while he runs around and clears out all the other places in the map. And he could potentially with that net plus the, you know, his beefiness, he could potentially do stuff like run up into a crowd take out one of the smaller guys while throwing the net over the big guy so that the, you know, like, if you have a storm fiend and a bunch of plague monks, right, you think your plague monks can't be touched because your storm fiend is there? Well, guess what? This guy comes in, throws a net over your storm fiend, kills a plague monk, and now, like, all your plans are ruined. You know, we could see something like that. Totally. Yeah. I wonder if they do something like, um, you know, you have to, like, you can't use the net if you do the other things. I don't, I don't know. Be. It, I, I, I have a feeling, just like the with the netters. I mean, it's like a, a the the Gloomspite get netters. Like it's an ability that they can oh, use. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. You know, so like maybe it'll be a uh, like, like a, a double a or triple or, or a double. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. could see that for sure. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things they did mention in the stream that I thought was interesting is somebody asked if like this came with like new rules, aka is this going to be a new edition, right? Um, and they're like potentially we'll find out right like they they're very cagey yeah, yeah you're right super cagey well about it depends it. on how the next revenue numbers look if we need to put another <laughs> book out there or, oh, wait, no. 
Yeah, I, I mean, this is clearly going to be coming out in a new box set, right? There's going to be two factions that are going to be there, and you're going to get mm-hmm. new terrain and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the question is, is, I mean, Dan, do you think that this is going to be a new edition? Like, what do you, like, what do you think? So one of the, my commenters actually on my channel had a better theory than I did, so I've just copied it. Um, so basically what they were saying was, if you look at, you know, we've got these two models, right? Kill Team and Necromunda for these yep. 40K skirmish games yep. that have gotten new additions recently. And there's the Kill Team option, which is just like you say the previous game was broken and we're invalidating all of it to just make a new game with the same name. Um, or what Necromunda did, I mean, Necromunda Ash Wastes basically is a new edition of Necromunda, but it, as far as I know, it explicitly doesn't obsolete the old game, right? Like all the rules are essentially the same. It's just like a totally different setting and a totally different way to play the game. Um, so almost like a, like super catacombs, right? Like catacombs Mm -hmm. is a new different setting, but it, you still just play the base game. It's kind of this separate other thing on the side. Um, I th- I'm hoping that this is essentially like Warcry Ash Wastes, where, you know, now we are in Gur, but most of what you learned from Warcry uh, Bloodwind Spoil still applies. Um, and, you know, there's just these new rules that kind of change up you know what is good in what situation a little bit but for the most part we're still playing a pretty similar game that's my hope you know yeah i mean like then for those that don't really follow necromunda right the ash waves added like vehicles and it's a very different setting and so like there's obviously like a lot of new rules that were associated with that so yeah we could totally see some maybe maybe we'll see some terrain rules yeah. That, you know, um, the that point kind of had some with Red Harvest. Yeah, the point just being, uh, like, you can still play your Necromunda Underhive right. bands in Ash Wastes. Yep. They're just not designed with Ash Wastes in mind. So, you know, kind of give or take there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, well, we will find out. When do you think they're going to um, drop drop this box set on us that they're going to be coming out with? Man, no idea. I mean, how long do you think they're going to take on the uh, Horus Heresy hype cycle, right? I mean, they they <laughs> won't do this until that that's all done, right? I feel like, um, and, and you have to realize, too, that we're about to get into the Age of Sigmar turnover stuff with the new General's Handbook that will be coming out in about a month, right? And so they're going to hype up that stuff. They're going to have... Um, you know, some some other box sets come out this summer as well. I think, in my opinion, they're going to reveal the box set at the Nova Open. Um, so that'll be the 1st of September. It'll go on sale, like, end of September, early October-ish. And mm-hmm. that, that tends to follow what previous Warcry releases have been, right? They've been, like, early... Um, like, early fall, early to mid-fall, you know, before the, the holidays. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So then it'll it'll either be their Gen Con reveal or their... No- oh, but Gen Con's usually their, like, board game stuff, like their Barnes yeah. & Noble exclusives. So, yeah, Nova makes a lot of sense. Um, and that would be cool because that would make, you know, your tournament at Nova Open kind of the 
the send-off celebration for Warcry 1.0. I mean, that would be that, sweet. that would yeah. make it pretty special. Yeah, although I would argue that with like Catacombs and Red Harvest, we're in like Warcry 1.7. Yeah, <laughs> or something like that right now, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we've got a couple of stuff, but we're still in the first edition, totally, mm-hmm. totally. So anyway, but yeah, a lot of good news. Uh, the only other tidbit of news that I wanted to kind of throw out there is that it was announced in the last White Dwarf that uh, four fighters, we get four uh, cards for, uh, sorry, war war cry cards for four new fighters. Um, unfortunately, the war, White Dwarf didn't drop before we recorded this podcast. Uh, Dan, who do you think those four fighters are going to be? I've got my thoughts. So, okay, so we're going to get the Night Haunt and Daughters of Cain heroes, yep. right? Yep. Um, so, but which which so you got the Gladiatrix, which is the Daughters yeah, of Cain one, the right? Yeah, Gla- Gladiatrix, which I think is a... Uh, competitive painter's dream of a model. Right. I think yeah. we're going to see so many of those at Capital Palette, at Nova, and at uh, Golden Demon. Um, and then uh, the the Night Haunt scripter, you scripter know, Mortis, book yep. ghost. Yeah. Um, yep. And then I assume the other two are Crossboos and the Crossboo leader, but I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I think definitely the the crossboos. That name cracks me up, right? The ghost crossboys, we call them crossboos. Um, definitely them, and, and I couldn't think of another one, like other than like the crossboo leader. But I think definitely the gladiatrix, the scripter mortis, and the crossboos. Like those three, I'm like those are definite. Those are locks in my mind. Yeah. So, it would make sense to have the crossboo leader as well. The other possibility so. is they do it like they. Like uh, Bone Splitters has, where the crossbow banner carrier has different rules, something oh, right, like that. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very, very good. Very good. Cool. Um, well, yeah. I mean, that's like most of our uh, that's most of our news there. Um, I, you know, it's always great to have Warcry news. Unfortunately, it doesn't come out as often as some of the other, you know, bigger games like Age of Sigmar. But when we do get it, we soak it up and we tend to overanalyze probably of what it what it's really going to mean for us but i'm excited for it for sure well we get to steal their news too i mean you know those night haunt models are ours uh the sylvaneth stuff that came out is eventually going to be ours right uh you know like i'm really interested to see what those archers end up like i I know it'll be a while a couple months before we see it but uh should be cool and then uh they teased a resurrection ability for the bug riders so if those get into war cry that could be pretty cool but oh yeah uh, that'd be very cool gonna be a gonna be a ways away but uh when it happens we'll cover it i feel like like sylvaneth because they are like completely revamping i mean not completely revamping the line but adding so many models that i wouldn't be surprised to see a um a new rule set for sylvaneth like an atome of champions or something right like all new cards basically Hmm. to add to them or we could just get it in White Dwarf and call yeah, it Yeah, possible. Right? So, yeah, anyway. Well, let's talk about Night Haunt now. Um, Night Haunt is the first faction that I played with in uh, Warcry. Uh, of course, you know, I was busy painting up the uh, Iron Golems and the Untamed Beasts. But because I had painted Night Haunt already, I just got a packet of cards. Jason, uh, you were playing with Flesh Eater Quartz with a packet of cards, and that is how we learned Warcry. Which was Flesh Eaters Courts versus Night Hunt. And let me tell you how often I won. Do you want to guess, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 10 games, I think you won two of them. 
probably only one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. We had good times, though. Um, but, you know, I had to get really crafty with the Night Haunt to, to be able to win, especially when he was fielding uh, um, the uh, uh, Crypt Flayers. Yeah, the like, Crypt Flayers oh. were just crazy how far they could move on the battlefield. Yeah. Yeah. And then just wreck things. And then they hit real hard still, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I so. mean, it's rough when Night Haunt's strength is supposed to be their movement, and you're moving faster than them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. The um, the interesting thing is when Night Haunt first came out, uh, the model range was so limited with them, right? Your, le- your choice of leader, you had two choices of leader. It was the Dread uh, Warden and the Extoler Shaish, which is like the kind of... Um, sergeant model of the uh, uh, Grimgast uh, Reapers. Is that the one with the bell? Yes, the one with the bell, mm. exactly. And then you had Chain Rasps, uh, Guard... I don't even think you had a Guardian Assault. You didn't have a Guardian. You had Chain Rasps, uh, uh, Miramorn Banshees, a Karen Wraith, and um, Glaive Wraith Stalkers. Like, I think that was all that you had. And like they were all ter- like terrible. I mean, <laughs> they just weren't good. They just did not have a lot of, uh, a lot of oomph to them right they didn't do a lot of damage and again you know going against the um iron golems hey night hunt was just fine against iron golems and and even like untamed beasts but if you took them against anything else like they just uh they weren't that great so i was really excited when the tome of champions came out and um really expanded their their offerings and you really got to lean into a lot more of the line so, um, as is our custom, let's uh, let's start talking about Night Hunt. Uh, maybe we can start with their strategy. Like, what are they? What like? What are they good at? What's their strengths? What's their weaknesses? Uh, I have one strength and a yeah. few weaknesses. Um, okay. <laughs> in my opinion, their resurrect ability mm-hmm. is one of the very best abilities in the entire game. Um, you know, Soul Blight has a weak, much, much weakened version of Night Haunt's Resurrect ability. Yeah. And Soul Blight, you know, competitively is like right there at the top because turns out when you have like solid models and that Resurrect ability, you're one of the most terrifying factions in the game, right? Right. Um, yes. So, you know, <laughs> it, and it's possible that Night Haunt are paying points for the fact that you can resurrect all of them. Uh, not just, you know, a few specific ones. Um, you know, it's possible that that's part of why they're pointed so kind of cautiously. Mm-hmm. Um, but that ability is incredible, and there are certain missions where you can leverage that ability to win win the game. Um, man, I can't think of any other strengths, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, look, their Spectral <laughs> Summon... <laughs> their, their Spectral Summon is a triple, right? And... Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Legion and Agash is like their their summon ability is similar, right? The Necromancer, um, and same thing in the Soul Blight. Um, I think they're all triples, and I think that you all remove a number of damage points allocated to the fighter equal to the value of the ability. So, I don't know if Night Hunts is that much better. But you can get anything, right? So you can resurrect oh, that's right. your it's other a, leaders. It's a, friendly, you can resurrect. it's a friendly fighter, yeah. Yeah, because. Yeah. Uh, the Soul Blight is it has to have the minion keyword. Yep. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I would like to say that it used to be Night Hunt used to be that it was the minion keyword. Uh, in the original in the original abilities, 
Oh, and they took that off there. Yes, they did. Nice. Yep. And that's why, again, that's it. why I was thinking it because I, I missed the friendly fighter and not minion because yeah. they had that before. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, the universal ability that they have is picking, picking an enemy fighter within a number of inches of this fighter equal to the value of this ability. Right. So already you're like, okay, if I get a two, I mean, it's on a double, so you could make a good one. So it could be like anywhere between like one and six inches, right. Until the end of the battle round, subtract one from the strength characteristic, which I mean, maybe, maybe. Mm, um, no, thank you. But it's just it's just one fighter, though. Like, it's yeah. not even an aura, right? Which is hilarious. Yeah, if that were an aura the on title, a double, that'd which be is, playable. I know, that's true. Hilariously, this is titled Aura of Dread. <laughs> that's so confusing. <laughs> wow, I'm reading it now. That is very confusing. Okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, yeah. Um I'll tell you one thing that they do have going for them. They have the fly keyword, and that that can help quite a bit um, mm-hmm. if you've got a lot of terrain going on for you. That was going to be my statement too, because you know I'm when I play Sigmar or Warcry, I'm very much I use movement as the number one tool or tactic for me versus just going and smash, which has been a little bit different when I play with the ogres. But I think having a you know I think they can move. Uh, I would say, you know, at average or above average distance than yeah. most of the warbands, mm-hmm. and they fly. And I think a good player is going to be able to capitalize on that movement and the ability to fly. Uh, what it, where it gets tough is when you have, um, you know, when you have uh, missions where you just have to camp objectives because they're, like you said, they're squishy. And even if you get to those objectives and sit quick, there's a chance you're going to get in and just get smashed off of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be hard to, to hold it, except for those spirit hosts, right? I think those spirit hosts are tar pits if you use mm-hmm. them properly. Uh, they were tar pits in Age of Sigmar, and I think they're tar pits in Warcry too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got 30 wounds at a toughness of 5, right? So um, they're, you know, if the average is a, a strength 4, for example. You know they're going to be making um, fighters hit on a five or a six, and they can take the wounds, mm-hmm. um, and then they can be summoned back. <laughs> yep. You know, so. Yeah. I how much do they cost? Um, two hundred. Two ten. Oh, two ten yeah. now. Yeah. Sorry, yep. I'm looking at okay. the old book. Um, one other strength I suppose I would give them is two of their leaders, uh, and we'll get to these in the leader section. But two of their leaders are like big league you know, serious fighters that any, maybe not any, but most warbands in the game would love to have as a leader um, that you could absolutely, you know, if they had stronger minions, you could build a really strong warband around. Uh, the, the Dreadblade Harrow and the Knight of Shrouds on Steed, yeah. uh, the fact that they're moving 10 inches, um, pretty tough to kill, right? Uh, deal not good, but respectable damage. You know, basically these giant flying hard to kill things um you know those are pretty good in the game what's amazing about those two as well is that they are mounted fighters but they don't have the mounted keyword they have the fly keyword Mm -hmm. so those things can get up on terrain whereas your normal mounted unit cannot they cannot climb they cannot go through you know 
tunnels and gates and all that stuff. But these guys can absolutely do all of that. So, um, and what I love about the uh, Knight of Shrouds, on, uh, we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute, actually. When we or let's just it. jump into leaders right now. Let's jump yeah, into okay. leaders and start with the Knight of Shrouds. Yeah. Yeah, so what I, what I do like with him, um, he has an, a really, really great ability. Um, cause like, again, he's got 30 wounds, toughness five, right? So he's kind of on par in terms of being tanky as the spirit host. Um, except he's got, he puts out damage a little bit better, um, base damage anyway. And, but he's got, he's got a, um, a double ability that is just fantastic. At the end of this fighter's activation, heal a number of damage points allocated to this fighter equal to the number of damage points allocated to enemy fighters as activation. So if he puts a wall up on people, which he can, he's got four attacks at strength four, base damage of two, crit damage of four, right? So he gets like he gets a little bit of damage. But like what what would the average of that be? Like maybe ten? He could do ten per turn? Yeah. If he's attacking right? twice. Yeah. 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 So let's say he does ten per turn. I mean he gets to heal that at the end of the at the end of the activation. Right? So um, he's he that's a guy uh, Jason that you can put on an objective and let him camp and he'll take it like for probably for the whole battle yeah what but what, what did you say his wounds were 30 yeah, yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. my my worry is you know if I see that and I'm the opponent I'm just not gonna fight him and I'm gonna put people on the objective but not within an inch of him yeah um, Yep. But he's got that big base, right? I mean, isn't his yeah. base pretty big? So if you, yeah, as long as you get to the objective yeah. first, you can kind of uh, body block and force people to come up within an inch of you just to be on the objective if you take up the whole thing. And and if you manage to do that, you're in probably in a pretty good spot. So his kryptonite is going to be shooting attacks, right? Like imagine a lead belcher just ripping into him. He can't heal back because there's nothing that he's fighting against, right? Mm-hmm. So that 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 that's his kryptonite a little bit. But look, he can get where he needs to go, and he can sit on an objective. He can, you know, if if there's little minion guys around, he's just healing himself up like crazy. So I like him a lot. I like him a lot. Yeah, and I would even say for most most shooters they would think of people like the knight of shrouds as their kryptonite right because mm-hmm. uh he's got that 10 inch flying he can probably close the distance in one in one move and start attacking them right away and then they can't use their shooting attack and all of a sudden they're in trouble right yeah yeah, yeah i mean that gives you a, a tactic though if, if you got a knight of shroud camping an objective just move your shooters around him and blast into him to try to to try to kite him off of it yeah, yeah. I would actually not suggest using it, almost ever in Warcry. I would not suggest using your biggest fighters to to play the objective game. I would say, you know, your giant, flying, scary, terrifying hero should play the opposing warband while your, you know, while the rest of your warband plays the mm-hmm. objective mm-hmm. game. Because of exactly what you just said, Jason. Like, yep. um, if he's sitting on an objective, he's not in the fight. He's not in the fight, and the opponent can be outmaneuvering him. Whereas if he's out in, you know, hunting people, uh, ooh, he's pretty scary. Yep, that's a good, that's a good um, <clears throat> advice for probably most war bands, uh, right? And you've seen that I said that a lot. You know, when I first started playing FEC back in Age of Sigmar days, that terror geist, I noticed every time I 
started playing the game early on before I like was good at movement and stuff people were targeting my terrorgeist right out the door and they were you know just firing that guy off the table because they were so scared of him then uh -huh. I started to play him so defensively I kept him way in the back and then I'd find all the I have all these matches where he like never really got in even though he moved like 12 or whatever it was inches he never got into the fray because I was so defensively playing with him I finally had some really good players tell me once they were like look I, I know you're afraid of losing him, but you need to be more aggressive with this guy because he is your damage dealer. He's what you got to get into the fray. I uh -huh. think it's it's really good advice for all these war games. Like you mm. can't be afraid to get your heavy hitters out there. Like that's their job. Their job is to go out there and to put fear into your opponent, so that they may blow him off the table, but they had to respond to him. Whereas right. if he just sits in the back, they can ignore him, right? And then they've mm -hmm. got more play that's a good on. Good point. You. Yeah, you're dictating the terms there, right? Yep. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Now, uh, Dan, you said your second favorite guy uh, leader was the Dreadblade Hera. Why? Why is that? Yeah, so I don't think it's as good as the Knight of Shrouds, but you know, if you're if you're just like right on the margins, like cutting for points, you know, it does a little bit less damage. It has two fewer wounds, um, but it still does the uh, ten inch flying um, respectable damage. I mean. Not respectable damage to anything with toughness five or more, but against toughness four or toughness three, um, it's pretty respectable damage, um, and you know just a little bit cheaper, right? Two thirty-five points over two fifty. So, if yeah. you're trying to do something else with your warband, uh, like if you're trying to do spirit host tricks, something like that, uh, sometimes if you use dreadblade heroes as your leaders, uh, you can just fit in a few more points to do other stuff, and mm -hmm. I think that that's pretty solid. Um, his ability is pretty awesome, too. The t is this the teleport guy? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I played him a lot in um, Age of Sigmar, and, and, man, he gave me all sorts of movement shenanigans. That It was my only way of being competitive with Nighthaunt in Age of Sigmar, right? But um, I think that he's got movement shenanigans here as well. On a triple, he has Phantasmal Disc Corporation. Uh, fighter can use this ability if they're not within three inches of enemy fighters. Remove this fighter from the battlefield and set them up anywhere on the battlefield floor more than five inches away from any enemy fighters. And teleports are even better in Warcry than they are in Age mm -hmm. of Sigmar because in AOS you can't move after you teleport. Mm -hmm. But in um, in Warcry, right, the Dreadblade Harrow moves ten inches and can't be yeah. more can't be within five of someone when it teleports so that means just one movement and it's right in in there so you can um literally threaten the entire board with the dreadblade hero so and and this is like if you've got those assassination missions like this guy's amazing right mm, because I bet. yeah because your guy might be you know the the enemy might be sort of like tanked up and and sort of like you know the whole They've got a ring of fighters protecting them from everybody that's in front of them. The the Dreadblade Herald can go bloop right behind them. And even if not, even if there's not enough room like right behind them, they could go bloop to the side of them five inches away and then get right behind them, you know, with their movement. So um, he he's the kind of guy that you're like, if I need to go kill somebody, like, like send him on a hunting mission because he can get where he needs to be and still like move and attack that turn. Yeah, that's so. pretty flexible. That's nice. All right. So, what units? What what leaders don't you like in here? 
uh i'll see to you i mean you've you've played it the most right what was the most yeah. frustrating leader for you to use um i hated the extoler of shayish i think he's such a garbage unit <laughs> he is so bad i mean like he's got the two inch thing but he's got three attacks at like strength three so he was always hitting on like fives and sixes and yet he does like four critical damage but Man, I just never could get him into where he needed to be. And he didn't even have, like, the Reap Like Corn ability because he doesn't have a scythe, you know? Instead, oh. yeah. So instead, he has nothing. He literally does not have um, an ability other than the Spectral Summon that is your normal Night Hunt leader, right? So I thought he was garbage. I didn't, I didn't like him at all. Um, the Dread Warden, I mean, he was a cheap... He was a cheap uh, leader back in the day when I was using him, you know, um, before like the um, the the Bringers of Death book came out and expanded the the line, um, I still wouldn't take a Dread Warden today because he's not that much better than just a normal Chain Rasp at almost like double the points. Yeah. So, like, he's just really not that much better. I'd rather have two Chain Rasps than one Dread Warden because you get like you know double the attacks instead of the same amount of attacks so your damage output from two chain rasps is going to be better than the one dread warden you know of course you lose the summon ability um but okay like whatever you know mm -hmm. i don't know he, he just doesn't there's nothing to write home about him so um one that I'm interested in, I don't think I would run it because I like the two 10-inch move ones better, but the Slasher Crone is uh -huh. kind of interesting just because it's got five attacks, um, yeah. which is, is you know pretty serious uh, as far as clearing out anything with toughness. Because it's only got strength three, right? And two yeah. and four, so it's not really crit fishing either that hugely. Um, but, you know, against anything toughness three, I... I would trust the slasher crone to take it out. She's got an interesting thing, and this is a this is um, the the uh, slasher crone, the dread scythe harridan, and I'm just seeing the nope, and the dread scythe harridan, which I'm surprised that the mirrorborn banshee doesn't have this. Like it doesn't make sense. This is the harrowing shriek ability, um, mm -hmm. where like they're screaming. So why does the mirrorborn banshee not have that? It, like it blows my mind. Anyway. Um, pick an enemy fighter within the number of inches of this fighter equal to the value of this ability dice, right, or this ability, all right, so, like, depending on, you know, how many inches. On a 3+, plus, or, or then you roll a dice for that fighter. On a 3+, plus until the end of the battle round, that fighter cannot make move actions or disengage actions. So, it can be, and I put an emphasis on can, right? This can be a really interesting ability if everything aligns and that's kind of the problem with that ability right is that first off you've got to have the range on the ability to be able to do it it's cost a triple so it's not it's not the easiest to get it's not as easy as a double right to dictate like the value of the ability you're going to get because you can always turn a six like one six into a, a double right six and it's a little right. frustrating right because a lot of factions do get this ability for a double Exactly. And so this yeah. is a triple, and then you have to roll a three up to actually make it go off. So you've got a 67% chance of it doing it if you get a triple already. And so, I mean, would I use it if I was desperate? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, I would. 
but um, am I going to build a list around it? I don't. I don't think so. And there's so many times when Spectral Summon is the triple you'd rather use anyway, and then, right. um, you know, I mean, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what about you, Jason? Are there any leaders that stand out to you, good or bad? So um, I was sitting here thinking about the Slasher Crone. What is the damage the Slasher Crone does? Uh, base 2, uh, crit 4. Base 2, crit 4. That's not bad. If you're gonna, And how expensive are they? They're 200 points even. Uh, so five attacks, uh, twos yeah. and fours. Yeah, yeah. I think the strength three is what worries me. I think you know if uh, otherwise you're going to be sending your leader off against kind of weak people on the battlefield to really take advantage of those numbers of attacks. That's kind of the thing that was worrying me a little bit about that because otherwise you know if you're if you're going against anything that's a that's a four a, a toughness four or above and there's a lot of toughness four. Um, you know, it's, you're going to be, you know, of those five attacks, maybe two are going to get through. Yeah. And with only 20 wounds, it can be tough too. I mean, um, the slasher crone, like a lot of bespoke warband leaders are toughness four with, you know, uh, strength five, you know, um, like they just have profiles at a very similar points cost that, mm -hmm. uh, would, would advantage them against the slasher crone in uh in a brawl so you really are like you said looking to hunt down the weaker fighters with the crone as opposed yeah. to go up against the other team's leader yeah yeah so i'm you know i'm not the, the thing is is i i've played against um you know night haunt i've not played night haunt i've played soul blight um but not played night haunt so and are there leaders I prefer? I don't know if I prefer leaders yet. I think looking just at the stats, I would probably lean towards, uh, you know, the points for the Knight of Shroud on Ethereal Steed or just the Knight of Shrouds just because of the, the things we talked about, you know, their ability to withstand and get out there. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of these leaders I'd look at and think, no, I'll pass on those. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, th th I think there are a lot of options for leaders so if you wanted to you know play around you've got some some ability to do so but probably the knight of shrouds is where i would start from if i wanted to make sure my leader could last on the battlefield and be something that people would fear yeah mm -hmm. so i think i think all of the sergeants right and i say sergeants right which are like the leaders coming from the other units so this is the extoller shaish dread warden slasher crone hell wraith um, Hellwraith is the Hex Wraith leader. Um, I don't. I would rather take their normal unit and maybe two of the normal units for the same price. As sometimes that's how it works out. Um, than just the one leader. Like I don't think that they add that much value um, in Night Hunt um, to it. And and that that's true of a lot of factions, right? Like the the sergeants that come out, they're just a little bit better. And it's like if you've got a little bit extra points. Like for example, if I wanted to take a Dreadside Herodin and I had like an extra 60 points or something like that, why not upgrade her to the crone if you don't have another leader already? But of course you can only have two leaders, so that kind of limits you. Um, so anyway, my point is is that the sergeants, they're nothing to write home about in my opinion. Um, the, there's, there's a bunch of leaders that I'm gonna call traps because they look, they look cool, but I don't think that they actually work out very well. And that is the Guardian of Souls, the Spirit Torment, the Lord Executioner, the Tomb Banshee, and the Cairn Wraith. 
I think all of those are traps. Man, that's half no, the roster. That's a lot. I yeah. Know. <laughs> I know, but don't I mean don't you think that? Like don't you think that I agree. Yep. I, agree. I mean because like look at this. Guardian of Souls, two attacks. Spirit of Torment, two attacks. Lord Executioner, two attacks. Tomb Banshee, two attacks. Karen Wraith, three attacks. And yep. I know that it's not always like it's it's not always like just about the attacks. I think the um I think the necromancer in um the uh in the Soul, in Soul Blade. Great Lords is a great right. example of like not great attacks but awful boys. fighting stats, but its ability yeah. is so good you're that's what you're taking it for. Yeah, yeah, and it's got like access to three abilities that are pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. so mm-hmm. so you're bringing it for that, right? You're not bringing it for its fightiness. Well, these guys you're bringing for their fightiness because their abilities aren't that great either, right? <laughs> um, and they can be super swingy with only two attacks. Especially like Guardian of Souls is two attacks, three three toughness, right? Spirit Torment's at least, or sorry, strength. Spirit Torment at least has five strength, and same with Lord Executioner. And the Lord Executioner does have an ability that lets you add damage to um, the uh, hits and critical hits. Um, oh no, it's only critical hits. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, because it's <laughs> like a beheading. It's like a beheading strike, right? And it says add half the value of this ability, rounding up to the damage points allocated by critical hits. Okay, well you only get two dice. Like, what's the chances that you're gonna roll a six with yeah. just two dice? You know, so it's like you just wasted a double, and to and get, you're like, better off. I think that's one of the many doubles that actually maths out to being worse than Onslaught. Yeah, um, right. So you're better off just using the basic Onslaught anyway. Yeah, so, I, again, they're traps. Um, I do like the Tomb Banshee's Chilling Touch ability, um, but you can get the Chilling Touch ability on the Spirit Host and the, and the Hex Wraith. So if you want the Chilling Touch ability, I wouldn't get it from the Banshee. I'd just bring a Spirit Host. Because the the chilling touch or sorry it's a frightful touch it's until the end of this fighter's activation count each hit from attack actions made by them as a critical hit instead now that's pretty good right like if a hit goes through and jason you've been on the you've been on the receiving side of this mm-hmm. with the spirit host oh yeah where all of a sudden like i just did 20 damage <laughs> you know yeah, i think uh, yeah but i'm with you i feel like if you really want that ability just take it in your spirit host yeah, mm-hmm. because the Spirit Host has six attacks. So you're fishing for hits and critical hits with that right there. The Tomb Banshee has two attacks at strength three. <laughs> like, good luck even hitting, right? Like, yeah. it's not even yeah. worth a triple to maybe get a critical hit on a normal hit that you would have had. So, um, I listen, I love the Tomb Banshee so much. And, in fact, I joke with my daughter that she is our Tomb Banshee because she has red hair and screams a lot. And so she's like, that's my model, Dad. I'm like, that's you, baby, you know? And uh, and so I want to play with the two Banshee. I want to play with it in Age of Sigmar, and I want to play with it on Warcry, and I can't because she sucks them both. Oh, like, no. <laughs> I know. It sucks. <laughs> well, you could have her proxy as a Briar Queen. Um, the Briar Queen has pretty bad – this is the uh, Underworld's leader yep. – has pretty bad fighting stats, um, but has kind of an interesting leader ability where – uh, you pick an enemy fighter within nine inches and roll dice equal to the number of the ability. It's a triple, so you know already you're kind of losing some uh, some flexibility there, which is too bad. But for each four up, you deal three points of damage and oh, you yeah. subtract one from their movement. Oh yeah, that's good. Um, so that can that's pretty good, I think. Um, I don't think I would rank the Briar Queen up there with the 
with the Knight of Shrouds, you know, if right. I was picking my most competitive leader. But I think it's playable enough to uh, to at least be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let's get into let's get into the 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 troops or the normal fighters here. Yep. Um. In my opinion, there's only one chaff unit, one real chaff unit, and and I'm defining chaff unit as like a unit that's under a hundred points, right? Usually about eight wounds, something like that. Um. Do you see any other chaff units other than the chain rasp? Nope. There's just the Briar Queen chain rasp oh, where you right. can pay ten points to get uh, one more damage on crits, um, but yeah. that's that's all you get for it. Yeah. And I would add those in if, like, I'm at, like, 980 points, right? So just yeah, swap out exactly. my chain Yeah, Only if I had extra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out of my way to put those in there. But the chain rasp, I mean, he does what he does. Like, he's, he's equivalent to, like, a skeleton or something like that. He's got eight wounds. Um, he does have toughness four, which is kind of rare for a chaff unit. Normally they're toughness three. But I think this is their ethereal playing into it, you know, a little bit. Yep. Um, so he does have toughness four, uh, eight wounds. He's got three attacks, strength three, one dam, one base damage, two on the crit damage. So um, it's hard to do with death by a thousand cuts. But I'll tell you where chain rats win the battles is when there's like it's a body objective, right? How many units do you have in each quadrant, something like that? So you can put out a lot of chain rasps if you want to. Just and you can get anything. them where they need to go, right? Because 5-inch yeah. move with flying, um, you know, Jason was saying this before, but that can be a thing that's kind of annoying to deal with on the other side. They can definitely be speed bumps, too. I mean, you know, like like to be able to just trip up a big a big um, uh, model, right? Like you're a beefy guy, like having a, you know, just going in and just putting him next to that guy. So he's got to either fight him for one of his turns or disengage and then move or whatever, you know? So, yeah. um, being speed bumps, like this is good points wise for speed bump stuff. Sure. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think it's important when you have flyers to play the terrain because, you know, that edge boundary between, um, raised and unraised is a free three inch movement yeah. for if you're chasing somebody or if somebody's chasing you, you know, uh-huh. that, that's important to keep in mind with these guys. It, it can be, it can be really detrimental uh, to the your opponent if you know, depending on whether they're uh, uh, going after you or you're going after them. But um, I mean, I guess if if they're running away from you, they're just going to take the fall damage. But uh, I, I think that the the five movement and the fly is just really good, especially if you get you know you get abilities that are going to give your guys you know, at the double or just other opportunities to, to move, you can really clear that battlefield quickly. So I think, and Justin, I think this is, you know, I've seen you play your night haunt like this. You got to play their movement because these guys can really get around the board and Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't just camp and you can't not be aggressive with them because otherwise you'll lose the field. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you. I absolutely agree with that. Um, one of the next the next unit I want to talk about should be a chaff unit, but for some reason GW likes to screw up this guy's stats to make them absolutely unplayable, both on Age of Sigmar and in Warcry, and it's the Glaive Wraith Stalker. Like they <laughs> But are, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> oh my gosh, let me tell you. Like their war scrolls, even in the new book that leaked for the Night Hunt, they're still garbage. Like there's no way anybody's playing them. 
Like they're just, I'm like, why did you even make these models? Like you have, you have ruled them out of any kind of competitive play whatsoever. And I think it's the same here. They're, um, correct me if I'm wrong, 40 points more than the chain rasp. And the, uh, only they're down to 110 actually. Okay. So they're, uh, what, 30 points now? Yep. I still right, don't so think that's good enough, but yeah, they're they're down to one ten. <laughs> they're thirty points. This is what you get for thirty points. You ready? You get two extra wounds, a point of toughness, and one extra damage on your crit. Oh, and you do get a two inch melee. Right. Which does kind of help. I still don't think it's thirty points. These guys should be like a hundred maybe, maybe like ninety. I'd actually just put them at ninety. They're really and not that good. That two inch range, I've put this rant on my channel a few times but two inch range on uh fighters that are have like really solid damage is incredible because you attack them they're threatened they have to waste a thing to come back at you and then you know you get huge economy from that two yeah. inch range on something that doesn't do a lot of damage is actually a disadvantage because <laughs> yes. it tempts you to not tie them up Right, it tempts you to use the two-inch range when that's the wrong thing to do because uh, they they'll just ignore you. Right, if they don't care about you, uh, they'll just ignore your fighter because you're not doing them any damage, so they're not worried. Right, so they don't need to clear you out. Um, yeah. So the two-inch range actually just it tempts you to do the wrong thing, which is not tie them up in base-to-base -base combat. Um, and so two-inch range is actually a bit of a liability on fighters that don't have uh, really solid damage potential. Yeah. I, that's a really, really good point. Because it's like, oh, uh, thanks for not tying me up. Now I get to go double move instead of having to disengage and then move. Right. Or move and then attack, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, thanks for not tying me up. And, yeah, thanks. You know, you, you, you did me one damage. Cool. Yeah, I can, go I can go attack the thing I actually have to kill now. Yeah, mm -hmm. right? Oh man, that's that's a that's a really good point. All right, so there are um, three fighters that all kind of fall within the, like, um, I, I'm looking at the old book right now, but they're they're in the old book they're listed at 135 and 145. Um, actually, there's four fighters. These are kind of your mid tier mid tier guys. Um, it's the Grim Grass Reaper, the Blade Guys Revenant, the Mirmorn Banshee, and the Dreadscythe Harridan. Um, yep. The only difference. Between the Grim Grass Reaper, the Blade Geist Revenant, and the Mirmorn Banshee is where you're swapping some of your numbers around. So, for <laughs> example, uh, the Grim Grass Reaper's got a two-inch melee, but a but a uh, strength of uh, three, versus the Blade Geist Revenant that's got a one-inch melee but a strength of four, versus the Mirmorn Banshee that's got a um, one inch melee, a strength of four, but it has one extra base damage, right? That it does two instead of one. So they're all very comparable. Um, so you know, the, their movement and toughness are all the same. The wounds are all the same, that kind of thing. The Mirmorn Banshee took a pretty nice little buff in the Tome of Champions. Oh, good. Actually. Okay. And so now it's only 130 points. Oh, okay. Uh, that which does is, make it better. And she doesn't have yeah. an ability. Okay, maybe that's why they uh, buffed it more than they buffed the others. Because all of them took some very small points buffs, but yeah. the Banshee took the biggest one, maybe because it doesn't have an ability. Yeah, but, she just uh, has the uh, Aura of Dread that's not really an aura. 
Oh, right, right, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, that strength four uh, with, was a two four damage profile, mm-hmm. um, it means that she takes onslaught pretty well against low strength things. You know, so you don't want her up against leaders and stuff, but even against toughness four, um, basically anything that's not toughness five, really, as long as she's not fighting Stormcast, uh, yeah. she does pretty respectable damage, especially with onslaught active. And now that you only pay 130 for her instead of 145, um, you know, that's that's 15 points that can 15 points can be a lot elsewhere in your list. So that could be. I I still don't think that she's like amazing, like one of the better units in the game, anything like that. No, like absolutely not. I think she's mm-hmm. uh, kind of in a really awkward sort of role spot. But um, you know, Night Haunts kind of really scraping around for playable people and i think the the banshee's playable yeah yeah um the other one that's in this kind of point range right this mid-tier point range is the dread scythe harridan and uh-huh. we talked about her a little bit before she like her like the slasher crone has five attacks against strength three uh one base three crit damage so you're really fishing for crits here if you want to do any kind of damage um i don't know like she she's gonna hunt some of your your chaff models out there, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if you go up against like a Soblite Grave Lords, like she's gonna eat through skeletons, which is is pretty good. Yeah, um, I played against someone who had both Banshees and Herodons in uh, in their list at Adepticon, and they were fine. Um, I ended up winning that game, but I don't know it. it they they were okay. Uh, they weren't something that really was scary or impressive, but um, unlike the chain rasps, they at least did things. I like how you're like they were fine. <laughs> <laughs> they were not the worst models around that points cost that I played against. Right, yeah, uh, I played yeah. against someone who unfortunately had a. Uh, I pu- actually played against two Thunderstrike Stormcast players who had those uh, 145 point spearmen from Dominion yeah, the, and uh, I'd way rather have a Dread Scythe Herodin than one of those spearmen I'll tell you that oh yeah way more attacks right right yeah definitely uh, alright so the last two last two units here last two fighters um, are what I consider sort of the elites of Night Hunt um, the first one is the Hex Wraith um, it it's got a big movement, right? Which is kind of nice. It's got a 10-inch movement. Um, it's got 20 wounds on it. and uh, But it only does... Uh, it's got three attacks, strength three, one, and three damage, right? So it's okay. I think it, I think it gets you... This is, a, this is a model that I would probably take in my list if I were um, um, trying to capture objectives like treasure hunts. Right, this would be my treasure sure. hunt model. Like if you knew if you knew the mission ahead of time and you wanted to make sure all three of your deployment groups could go snatch a treasure and like you've only got two leader options, yeah, why not why not use a hex wraith to go yeah. snatch treasures? I don't know if he's that good elsewhere, right? <laughs> like yeah. I mean he, I he's got the same damage profile. In fact it's a worse damage profile than like a Blade Geist Revenant or Mirmorn Banshee. So, um, I would rather take one of those if I needed to kill things, you know? So, yeah. 
Uh, the last one, which is actually probably one of my favorite units, is the Spirit Host. Uh, we talked about him before. He's got that uh, Frightening Touch um, that turns his hits into crits. Um, he has six attacks at Strength free, 3, uh, one base, four crit damage, uh, 30 wounds at Toughness 5. Um, he's a beefy guy, and he's really great if you can resurrect him. Um, because he just comes back and when he does um, when he does his attacks and you put that frightening touch on he could really put a hurt on some things so um, he has some surprising oomph in his attacks if you can get that triple off yeah is there any um, I'm just looking to see if there's any abilities outside of the spirit torment that reduce toughness of enemies or add strength to the spirit torment um, the spirit torment or the spirit or host? sorry the spirit host I'm just looking for something that removes toughness I don't think I see it um, but keep an eye out if you ever see something that enters the death grand alliance that reduces toughness reducing toughness abilities are almost always terrible but if you could combo it with the uh, the frightful touch ability uh, yeah. that's that could be absolutely terrifying that'd be yeah that'd be amazing especially like on a on a toughness four or toughness uh, five model, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's really toughness four, so that would really be a huge combo. So, yeah, it's pretty good. Overall, how would you rate the Night Haunt uh, faction, Dan? Oof. Um, like, so are they mid tier, bottom tier? I know you you've kind so, of like done your A B C D, right? Yeah, There's personally, I'd say with the new Tome of Champions stuff and like red harvest terrain stuff like that nothing with uh solid 10 inch flying leaders can be like the bottom of the bottom yeah. right because you know there are some there are some missions where if you have a knight of shrouds on steed and your opponent doesn't have a flyer you can leverage that to just win just off of that alone right right so you couldn't be bottom of the bottom but um maybe bottom bottom of the middle or okay. maybe top of the bottom, you know, some yeah. somewhere around yeah. there, I'd say. What do you think, Jason? How do you feel about them? Um, I, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, like I said, I think a an experienced player that's going to take advantage of, and I've, I know I've iterated it, and I'll keep iterating it, uh, plays the movement uh, capability and use those spirit hosts to... Uh, to camp objectives and then runs around with the speed of their others to kind of poke in the butt or cause havoc of the other yeah. the other player. An experienced player that can do that effectively without blundering, I think can be effective with this army. And when I say effective, I mean am I saying that they're going to win all the time? Uh, I, I don't think that's guaranteed with this army, but I think what it will mean is they'll play it in such a way that if their opponent uh, can't uh, make mistakes. Right. Because if the opponent, you know, uh, an experienced player that capitalizes on those advantages will make it such that their opponent has to play uh, a very tight game to to pull out the win. But I still think the, that they're a little bit less of um, a little bit less of a, um, uh, of a challenge than some of the other warbands that I've played against, just my opinion. No, I think I think you're right. I think I think part of their problem is most of their models are hitting like a wet noodle, right? Just a base one damage for. That's really me. it, because even if you, you know. chase me around and try to poke me, it's like <laughs> you might be poking me with a really soft stick, and I'm right. just like, you know, that's annoying. Leave it alone. You 
yeah. Jason, I love how you put your answer. I can tell you're someone who really respects his opponents. Based on what Justin's told me about the spankings you've given him with his <laughs> night haunt, uh, and the fact that you are still so nice and so like, you know, well, a, a, a good general can really do some things with movies. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, <laughs> maybe, but they can't do it to you. <laughs> uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> That's funny. That's why I started switch, switching it up, and I played my cruel boys, and you know, yeah, I like cruel boys are good. Yeah, they're 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 surprisingly good. So, um, all right, we are running a little shy on time, but I still think that we got enough time to get into our our last segment here. Um, one of the things that I see all the time, and I get questions about all the time, especially when we're teaching new players how to play, is you say, okay, before we reveal the card, uh, the you know the the battle deployment and the uh, the mission cards, you need to split your uh, forces into three groups uh, hammer dagger shield right or dagger hammer shield however you want to say it uh, we need to split them into three groups and um, yeah just remember like the rules are obviously that you can't have more than 50 percent in one group you have to have at least one fighter in one group and you have to have at least a third of your army in the shield all right those are the rules and uh, we always get the same look from the new players they look at me like so where am I supposed to put these models again? <laughs> right? They're like, how, like, what, like, yeah. wh- like, what, what do I do with this information? Like, I don't, like, how do I strategize? I don't understand how, how we want to do that. So, um, we thought it would be good to talk a little bit about, you know, planning your battle groups out and knowing, um, maybe some facts and statistics that can help you get there. And then maybe some strategies that you might want to consider as you're putting, you know, your battle groups together. So, um, let's start a little bit right now with, um, the breakdown of rounds that like battle groups can appear. So, um, uh, Dan, you've kind of looked at this, I think a little bit before. I know I put some stats together last night. I actually went through all of the, the cards, the deployment cards in the original pack. I went through all of the Toma Champions. I went through the Red Harvest one. Um, and I kind of put some very unscientific math together on like when, you know, what are your probabilities that you would, you know, each of these uh, groups, the, the, the hammer, the dagger, the shield, would appear in round one versus round two versus round three. So, um, I sent these stats over to you, uh, Dan and Jason. Was there anything that popped out to you guys that you thought was interesting or that stood out to you? Yeah, so that 78% number for, um, I think that's about what Rito had said a long, long time ago when he did a similar video to this. Um, really lets you, if you're only playing the base game, it really lets you uh, stack your shield, because and especially most of those deployment cards, not only does the shield come on um, round one, but most of the time it comes on like in the thick of the fighting too. So you can really stack your shield with combos if you're playing the base game. Um, when Catacombs came out and then Red Harvest came out and was balanced with deployment and you know, a lot of people were <laughs> upset because their combo lists were much jankier now. Um, as yeah. opposed to having an 80% success rate, it's, you know, more around 50 or maybe a little, it's like 60 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so 
back in the day with the base game before any expansions, and you know, still if that's what you're playing, uh, you can really stack your shield and pull off some pretty silly combos that uh, if someone's not expecting it and not stacking their shield, you can uh, really catch them out. So I, I broke it down, and uh, let me let me throw out the numbers real quick because you you mentioned the shield. So the shield will appear in the first round, and like you said, a lot of times right in the thick of the battle, right? Usually eight inches in from a board edge, kind of like right in the middle. Um, it'll appear the shield will appear in the first round seventy eight percent of the time, uh, and it will appear twenty one percent of the time, almost twenty two percent of the time in the second round, and it will never appear in the third round. Uh, the the hammer will appear 40% in the first round, 40% in the second round, and about 18% in the third round. Now I'm rounding up. That's why these aren't adding up to 100. Um, but just giving you guys rough ideas. And then the dagger um, will appear 61% of the time in the first round, 35% of the time in the second round, and 2% in the uh, in the third round. I think it's in, it's important to talk about the core book because when you look at a lot of the um, uh, monsters and mercenaries and um, a lot of the uh, uh, narrative stuff that's even in the Tome of Champions, they'll say use the deployment cards as usual. Use the deployment cards as usual, which is from the first uh, from the first core rule book, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so. Yeah, if you're playing narrative, if you're playing, you know, anything really like that, realize that, like, your shield is on there almost 80% of the time, and your dagger uh, in the on the first round, and your dagger is on there 62% of the time um, in the first round. And I think that that uh, should tell you a lot about how, to, how you may want to think about organizing your battle groups. Yeah, this was, uh, these are good numbers. I've honestly never thought about it up to this point. Um, every time I've played with new players, I always say, eh, just balance it and maybe uh, maybe put, uh, you know, some some roguish hitters in your dagger because daggers seem like rogues would be holding daggers. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's I always like... I think that's like, some solid narrative play right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, like right, I actually I, like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and to be fair, I feel like... I don't feel like I've ever played a game where someone has been like, man, I really wish they were on the field right now. I really need them on the field. This sucky deployment's going to keep me from getting it. I've never felt like that. And, and maybe it's because of the stats that you have just thrown out there where, you know, 80% of the time your shield is going to be on in round one and 60% of the time your dagger is going to be on in round one. So it's, it's, kinda, it's, it's really just the hammer, which I typically pick as my middle one uh, that's got a 50-50 shot on whether it's going to come in on the first or the second round. And, so, uh, yeah, yeah, so I just, I've always kind of balanced my groups out, understanding that, you know, one of these is probably going to come in on the second and the others will probably come in uh, on the first. And I think that's a good way to do it with the newer stuff. Um, mm -hmm. The Red Harvest, I know, is perfectly balanced. And, like, I think everything is 60%. Um, I know in our... In our stats thing, I think you might have included some things that aren't in Red Harvest there, because there's zero third round stuff in Red Harvest. Oh, that's weird. Um, I thought I just and then their card. Uh, okay. Catacombs is the same. So I think having balanced deployment groups in a Red Harvest or Catacombs is probably correct. Um, the other thing with in the base game that you can kind of do 
with the hammer is if you just put uh, a single like cavalry or a single flyer or a single fast thing right so that you know you can kind of get to the fight a little easier that can be good but sometimes if you try really hard to game it and you get that one twenty percent where your shield's not on the fight round one then you know you've really messed yourself up so uh, if you don't balance them out you know sometimes you can pull one over on your opponent and sometimes you can uh, get you know that one in five time you get punished you'll really remember it yeah so um it, it's kind of interesting jason you said like oh i don't think i've ever played a game where like you know i feel like i need those on there you clearly haven't ever played with orcs <laughs> or no, stormcast eternals yeah you know where you're just like Any oh my gosh really i need slow elite ones mm -hmm. <laughs> i need that mega boss on there like yesterday you know <laughs> like, yeah and i, I put mean, them in the you know so. that's true i mean i've played with ogres though where i've only got four models total yeah, that's right? true that's and true so you know i i think it comes down to probably play style too uh but uh there you know i'm sure that i've had a battle plan once or twice where um i've wanted I've, I've needed somebody on there, but he hasn't been there. And I just I just adjusted the way I played, recognizing that he was going to come in. Right, right. On that. And that's the thing is, I feel like even in those uh, deployment cards that you pull, where you are going to be coming in late, they're on appropriate edges so that it gives, it, it, it helps. The fact that you're going to be coming in on that edge gives you a little bit of control in that area of the board that your opponent has to watch for because he knows if he places something, he can't get away from you by going to that edge because somebody's mm -hmm. going to come in really close to engage uh, on that next round. So I don't know. I, I've always felt like it's a fun mechanic, not one that I've had to pay extreme attention to as long as I've balanced out uh, all three of those groups. That's just my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, it this this made me think a little bit more. Like, especially if I'm playing with Iron Jaws or something like that. Um, I if I'm bringing a Mega Boss, I'm putting him in my shield. You know, I mean, like that's just that's just where he's going, and just because he has a greater chance of being on the board the first turn, and even if he is on the second on the second round, you know, um, that's fine. Like, if had had I put him in that hammer, like he'd have a greater chance of being on yeah. the second turn anyway or second round anyway. Right, so um, it, I think I think knowing that like w with the base deployment stuff, uh, you know, I'm I'm I I want to be sure that what I put in the shield I need on I I really would like on the board first round and then maybe some of the supporting units or like you said um, Dan like a, a cavalry or a flyer or something like that coming in like in the hammer just in case. Like, if they get on the board the first round, hey, that's great. But if they come in the second round, like, that's fine, too, because they can just double move and be ever, be where they need to be anyway, you know? So, um, yeah. I yeah. think that's good going advice. Even if you're going balanced, sometimes you want to think about abilities. So if there's mm -hmm. one fighter that uh, has an ability that buffs up a different fighter, you really want them to be in the same, um, in the same deployment group. Yeah. Um, so even if you're balancing it, maybe you don't put them in the yep, shield, yep. but you do want them together. Yeah, so a good, a good point, Justin. Actually, if you have a heavy hitter mm -hmm. that's tough, I think putting him in the shield is probably a better choice because he's going to get on the field. He's going to have more rounds to contribute right. to the right. fight. But if you've got a heavy hitter that is a glass cannon, 
it might be mm. better to have them in the hammer so that the the field can mature a little yeah. bit mm, and then yeah. he can come in later and start you know firing like crazy yeah, yeah. No, but he I doesn't get blown a, off the field right on the first round right right i think that's a great point um dan i think that you had a great point in our um on our iron jaws webpage um our war cry webpage you talked about how um you want to use wog uh that uh, that wog ability as early as you can with um like a mega boss or a brute boss or something like that that can use that wog ability you want to use that as early as you can to get the uh iron jaws where they need to be uh and then you kind of said also like if you're going to bring a gorgrunta that has good movement like you don't need him in the same battle group because he doesn't have to benefit from the wog like maybe some of the ard boys do right yeah and it's why for iron jaws i actually think so their best leader is the uh, leader on gorgrunta and i actually think it's a bit of a trap because it's really hard to fit that and a second gorgrunta into a list so then all mm. of a sudden your mobility is on wa and on your leader who has <laughs> wa anyway and right. so you're actually you actually have less mobility when your leader is on the pig even though it's the best leader in iron jaws it's this yeah. weird trap that uh you kind of it's not a disaster if you do it i mean if you love your gorgrunta leader it is the best stat for stat leader in in the faction but i do think it's it's less competitive than uh having a different you know on foot leader using wog and then having a gorgrunta elsewhere to give you some movement outside of right. the wa right yeah um one last thing so we talked we've talked about the base game and how we can change that i did want to do i did some research a while ago for the tome of champions missions when i was doing uh like you know adepticon tournament review stuff mm -hmm. um that's really interesting because so all of them you're equally likely it's 50 50 shot with each deployment group whether or not you'll be on the field round one which um seems like the best thing there is to have balanced deployment groups and that is true uh but because there's only six missions, you kind of want to play the specific missions too. And so sometimes it's worth it to think about if you have the option, how would you balance them while staying fairly balanced on points, right? So uh, the shield is right in the thick of things for both of the objective missions. Uh -huh. And so you kind of want like extra chaff in your shield. Um, because Fleeting Glory and Nexus of Power are both objective missions where you just want to outnumber them. And so your shield starts right in the middle. You want to have extra chaff so you can outnumber people on objectives starting right away in round one. Um, and then your dagger, in the ones where it starts, it's like trophy kills where you start 18 inches away, but you have to get a kill round one, or at least if you do, you probably win. And, uh, you know or scour where dagger starts all the way in the back so if you have something really fast or if you have archers they're really good in your dagger over everything else um and then your hammer it's in ones where uh when it starts in the thick of things uh you have like you're basically just fighting your opponent mm. um so the hammer can be a really good spot if you've just got like a really beefy fighter, like a doom bull or something or a mm -hmm. Kurnoth hunter. Um, so there is, it's strange where like they're really balanced. So you can get away with just 
balancing your warbands and not worrying about the strategy and you won't get punished that hard. But also because there's sort of so few missions and they're so specific, uh, you can be kind of rewarded for uh, sort of playing to the specific missions there. Very good. And and with a lot of these, um, with a lot of those, they come in the tournament, right? Which, uh, as, as I was looking at the tournament pack, you need to, when you submit your list, you are also submitting your, your battle groups there. So uh, mm -hmm. you aren't able to change your battle groups before each mission set, before each, uh, you know, uh, game that you have. The battle, uh, the battle groups that you have or the battle groups that you have for the whole tournament. But you can still do that where you're like, hey, listen, like the uh, the shield, when it's on there, like it's in the thick of things. I need some endurance there or chaff, right, or something like that. Or, um, yeah, because you the, want numbers yeah. in your shield, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I kind of learned this. You know, I built my warband for Adepticon not knowing whether to expect... Uh, TOC missions or base game mm -hmm. missions, so I kind of did something halfway in between, and uh, so my dagger would have been better as my hammer, and my hammer as my dagger, ah, right? Okay. So, um, you know, it's something that I definitely studied pretty hard after the tournament, because it was, you know, a, a very small mistake. I don't think it made the difference in any games, but it would have made some things a lot better. Um, yeah, there was so a game I only won by one point, where I think I would have one much more comfortably, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, you know, this is an, I love this aspect of the game of having to like, you know, break them up and you've got your deployments and stuff like that. And for narrative, like it, it's a lot of fun, but I think as we look at uh, Warcry becoming more and more competitive, I think that these battle groups are going to become more and more important as people think through them and through the specific missions that are in the mission packs. Right. Uh, of how to preset themselves up, and I think that that will actually um, begin to show like the great players from just the good players, right? It'll it'll kind of separate that as a as as a way of you know under truly understanding the game. Yeah, definitely. You know, the interview I did with uh, Kyle Hall, who uh, won the uh, Adepticon, you know, the larger of the two Adepticon competitive tournaments, he had thought pretty pretty darn hard about how he was going to, you know, weight his, his battle groups. And he specifically took exactly three tree revenants so that he could have one in each and then, you know, no more because he didn't want more than one in a deployment group. It's yeah. stuff like that, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but, you know... As Warcry becomes more competitive, I think it'll also become more narrative, right? There will be more narrative events. And I actually yeah. wasn't joking when I said that, like, putting rogues in your dagger sounded kind of fun and cool. I mean, I, for narrative <laughs> events, I think that's sweet. I actually think that that's a really legit way to do it. Yeah, I think it's cool. And put your, put your heavy hitters in those hammers, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah let's do yeah. it. So. Um, hopefully that helps you, uh, our audience, understand uh, you know the three deployment groups a little bit more. I'm I'm personally grateful to be like have gone through like all of the cards and looking at all of the different options and and being like oh wow wow that pops up a lot more than I thought because it really made me think about this when I had not really thought about you know gaming my battle group list. It was just kind of like oh I'm at the table uh sure three groups you know. And uh, now I, I think I'm going to think through it a little bit more carefully, especially when you're playing with a, a group like maybe a Night Hunt, right? That <laughs> that you really need to play your best game to be able to win some games with a, a faction like Night Hunt. And if you can begin it in the battle groups, maybe you'll give yourself a competitive edge. So 
hopefully this helps you guys. Um, we uh, we would love some feedback. If if you got something from this, let us know. Again, we've got our, our Facebook page. We have our Twitter account, uh, Tabletop and Beyond uh, Podcast. We would love to hear from you. And if you've got uh, suggestions for future uh, – future warband faction deep dives uh just let us know we, there's obviously a ton out there and we love going through each of these uh because it's, it's it's really cool to find out what what's good and what's maybe not so good in each of these factions so until then keep the dice rolling and um uh, and uh as dan says right uh may all your hits be crits is that right dan yeah, I do sign off with that. May all your rolls be crits. <laughs> there you go. That's your signature move. I, I'm not going to steal it from you. I, you know, I, it, it's good stuff. So, anyway, keep the dice rolling, everybody. We, uh, we, we, we love it. And um, thanks for supporting us. Have a great night. See ya.